Morning, everyone. Morning. Really, really good to be here. <clears throat> I've known uh, the church. I've known... So, Paul Woodward used to be here some years ago. Know Paul. He's a good friend. Um, known some of your leaders. Known about the church for years. Uh, first time to visit. And we're absolutely thrilled to be here. Heather and I live in Birmingham. I've been a pastor in churches in the UK in different places for, for many years, because I'm old now. Um, uh, but we got in, involved with our work as a group of churches in the Middle East, making Jesus known in, in places where he isn't. Um, and it's an area where you could kind of think, well, there's some pretty difficult things going on, um, and it is, but there's some amazing things going on. Um, we've got five gorgeous children. Um, uh, a couple of them are working in the Middle East as well. Uh, are you taking my photo? I just, it's my hair. Okay. I kind of... <laughs> Hang on, if you're going to take my photo, and you say... <laughs> you're not taking photos? No. <clears throat> um, a lot of my, our time is spent travelling, uh, encouraging churches, either those that are meeting publicly in those places, or some of them that are having to meet secretly. Um, so that's some of what I do. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to teach, um, and I don't know if you, you guys get the scripture up. It's Luke 24. That's where we're going to go from. I don't know if that's possible. I love the fact that the PowerPoint guy is so skilled and equipped, he has to have two minders. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what's going on, but I just like... And at some point, I'd like to pray for some unity among your worship team, because clearly the drummer, there's been some kind of fallout. It's always the drummer. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm here for you. I mean, they just kind of... Or they either put you in a box... And so no one can see you, or they put you across the other side of the hall. So, um, um, now let's look at an even more amazing story from Luke chapter 24. This is a well-known story. So earlier, Sarush started the meeting by talking about the resurrection. That's what we're going to read about. Um, the resurrection, you, you know all of this but just to capture it, just to help us. Without Jesus coming alive again, we wouldn't be here. Jesus would just be another good teacher or a prophet or a healer. If Jesus hadn't come back to life, there would be no Christianity. There would be no faith in him. Um, lots of teachers have come and done miracles and then have died and aren't here. The reason why we believe is because Jesus came alive again and then ascended and went up to heaven. He didn't come alive and die again, like other people in the Bible called Lazarus. He rose. And he talked about it beforehand and said this would happen. And when you get to know the a Bible a bit more, for those of you that, that are just looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus or just a new follower of Jesus, the Bible talks about it early on. Some of the prophets, people that we call prophets, talked about that this would happen. So that's what makes it so amazing is Jesus came, um, was crucified on a cross, um, and then came alive again, fulfilling what was said of him. So without the resurrection, we wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be singing songs. We'd just be following a dead prophet. He had amazing teaching, did amazing miracles, but he's dead. But the thing is, is he's not dead, he's alive. And the reason why we sing with such passion is because he's changed our lives. And we know he's alive. It's not just because we read it in a book. It's because his love is real. And with the resurrection, Paul tells us later that because Jesus has risen, we will rise. 
and death isn't the end because Jesus has defeated death. That was the point. It wasn't just a personal amazing thing that was to happen to one person. Jesus was defeating the curse of sin and evil in the world (coughs) because death represents sickness, injustice and oppression and everything that's evil. And he came to show that God could defeat this. And Jesus gave himself willingly to die on the cross. Three days later, he comes alive and everything changes and history changes and everything changes in the world. And that's why we sing in the middle of the storm. That's why we're going to sing. I'm going to sing a little louder. Not because I'm hoping that I'll have a little bit of peace and feel a little bit better on Tuesday morning. No, because Jesus has come alive again and the whole story has been changed. The resurrection changes history The resurrection changes our destiny. Nothing is the same anymore because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's that important. With that as the backdrop, let's read this story. Now what's happened is it's the third day. The disciples are sad and heartbroken. They can't understand why Jesus let himself be killed. They know he's powerful. They thought he was going to rescue God's people, Israel. And they thought he was going to overcome the Roman Empire the ones who are oppressing them. Um, They thought he was going to make Israel great again, but none of these things have happened. He's dead. And now he's buried in a tomb, so they think. And in other stories, and earlier in this story, we see that the women go to anoint his body, and he's not there. And in fact, one of them has a conversation with someone who they think is the gardener, and of course it's Jesus. They go back to tell the men, women, you, you love this, the men don't believe them, so, so they have to run and check it out themselves. And then they see the body's not there, so they're wondering what's happening. So there's lots of confusion. Store, they, they all know the body's not there, but they don't know if someone's taken it. They, they weren't expecting him to come alive in that way, because in their faith, for, for Jews and also people at that time, they believed that there could be a, maybe a spiritual kind of resurrection, like a ghost and a spirit could live on. They wouldn't expect the body to get up again. So they, they just didn't have that. See, we, we're used to that. We're used to the story. And that's why I'm taking time over this, to show you the power of it. So they, weren't, they didn't go there and think, oh, he's not here, he must be alive. There's nothing in their worldview that's going to think that. And this hasn't happened before. So there's a lot of confusion. And then we get to this story in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. It's interesting, isn't it? They're wondering what's happened, and Jesus comes, but he doesn't make himself known to them. They don't recognize him somehow. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. We had words this morning about depression, about feeling low and fed up, about feeling oppressed. Well, these two are. Listen to them. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one, this is is funny, okay, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not see does not know the things that have happened in these last days. Sometimes the Bible's meant to be funny. They're saying to Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't know? 
What's funny is Jesus is the only one who does know. He knows he's alive. He knows he's never going to die again. He knows that he has been justified, vindicated, shown to be the Son of God, the one who's defeated death. He's the only one that knows this at this point in time. And he's having a little bit of a game and saying, tell me, why are you fed up? What's going on? Are you the only one who doesn't know how Jesus didn't start laughing? I don't know. I hope this is okay. You're meant to think. We're meant to laugh, okay? That's the point. Something amazing is about to happen, but it's funny because they don't get it and Jesus is the only one who does get it. But somehow he keeps it quiet. What things, he says. (laughs) How he says that without laughing. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Listen to them. He was a great prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. Here it is. But we had hoped. Hope is gone. We'd hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, rescue Israel, fulfill all the prophets, get rid of Rome and the empire and the taxes, give us our land back, make everything right. Because they began to believe he was the Messiah and healing the sick, and the things that he taught, it was clear that he was that one. But how can he be that one if he hasn't taken care of Caesar and Herod and Pilate? What's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they didn't see Jesus, so they're confused as well. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. That must have been a great Bible study. They still didn't recognize him. Jesus said, look, these scriptures, what happened here, and when Moses did this, that's about the Messiah. And this story, that's about the Messiah. And then the prophet said, this would happen, and this would happen, that's about the Messiah. And he's teaching them that actually the death on the cross, Jesus sacrificing himself, was foretold. It was part of the plan. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not that the authorities had greater power than God. That's what he's teaching them. It's all in the story. As they approached the village to which they were going... Jesus continued on as if he was going further. He keeps the game going. Thank you for the laugh. We're meant to. Come and stay with us. She said, no, I've got to go. I've got to go on. Oh, come on, please. No, I need to go. It's Jesus. Just explained everything from the scriptures. And this is really Middle Eastern. Listen to this. Stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's over. They urged him strongly. So he went in. That's exactly what would happen. Isn't it, Sarush? It's exactly. You can't let the stranger and the guests carry on at night. You've got to come in and have food. You've got to come in and have a bed. still happens today. It's beautiful. Now listen to this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. It's not Jesus' house. It's not Jesus' bread. He's the guest. He's not the host. He's not the one serving. But he's taking over. It's time for them to know who he is. It's time for them to know that actually they're not the hosts, they're not the ones in control. Jesus is. And he took 
bread, gave thanks, broke and began to give it to them. When was the last time they'd have seen that happen? Maybe they were in the room when Jesus did what we called the Last Supper, when he broke bread. We don't know that. We don't know who the other person is. But they, they would have heard about it. They'd have heard from the other disciples as they all would have talked. Well, what happened then on Thursday? You know, we weren't there. What happened that night? What did he say to you when he took bread? And we were going to celebrate the Passover, but he started talking about his body being given. So they'd have heard about it. Maybe they were there for the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus did that amazing miracle with a little packed lunch, a few loaves and a few fish. And he took bread, held it up. It says in the story, he took bread, broke it. And over 5,000 people were fed with a few loaves. They'd have heard about that. In other words, they've seen and heard Jesus break bread. And this is Jesus' body given. So he takes bread. Their eyes were opened and they recognize him. At the moment of Jesus breaking the bread, at the moment of Jesus reminding them, my body, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who's defeated death. That's what he means when he says, I'm the bread of life. There's no death, sickness, injustice, oppression in me. There's no sin. I'm life. That's what Jesus meant. Not just he was an extrovert and had a good sense of humor and more fun. No, he's come to bring life to defeat death. Now, we don't get all of that, many of us, because we, we, the way we learn is we like it spelled out with points. Luke is giving us a story about the most powerful thing that's ever happened in the world. Because that's how it works in those cultures. Just tell the story of what happened. And as Jesus breaks bread, and the bread represents his body and his life, suddenly their eyes are open. It's him! It's Jesus! He's alive! He's the bread of life! Everything he said on the road points to him. This is a matter. And then read what happens next. Because they don't get to finish their sentence. <laughs> their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> what are you doing, Jesus? You hide from them for all of this walk, about seven miles. You teach them all about you, but they still don't recognize you. You go in to have a meal with them, you make yourself known and you clear off. <laughs> it's meant to be funny and weird. What do you mean he just disappeared? We'll come back to that later. There's a reason why he does that. Disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Wasn't life coming? Wasn't fire coming again? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. They're that excited. They're that on fire. Their world has been turned upside down that even though it's late, and dark, and you wouldn't go on that road normally at that late. They, they just forget the meal, we're going. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So by this point, Simon has seen Jesus. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized when he broke bread. What a story. And then while they're telling him that, we're not reading this bit, but Jesus appears to the whole group and then teaches the whole group about what had happened through the prophets and says to them, now, I want you to go into all the world and talk about this. So let's learn a few things from this story. Remember everything we said at the beginning about how amazing the resurrection is, how important it is, how it changes everything, how it's the center of the story, how it means death has been defeated and sickness and everything that's wrong in the world is going to be made right. It points to the new future. 
It points to the fact that you and I, if we put our faith in Jesus, death is but a door. It's just a passing moment because one day we will be with him in eternal life forever and ever. That, it's that bigger deal. Now, when important things happen, you kind of think it need to, you need to do something with this. Some big things need to happen. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes for a walk with two people who are leaving. These men are leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving what has been the center of everything. They're leaving what has been the center of their faith. One of the big identities for them as God's people is Jerusalem. They're leaving the city. They're going. They're downcast. They're confused. They had hoped Jesus was the one. But he isn't because he's dead now. And there's stories of him being alive, but no one knows. So we're, le- we're leaving. We're going. And Jesus goes to find them. Jesus goes looking for them. Jesus goes to join them on their walk. He's now the king. He's now defeated death. He had died a horrible death, whipped, beaten, spat on, nailed, thorns on his head, everyone rejecting him, cursing him, laughing at him. He died. He's the son of God. He's supposed to be the king, but there he is, humiliated, ashamed, naked on a piece of wood with everyone rejecting him and leaving him. That was Friday. Sunday, where do you find the king of the resurrection? You find him going for a walk with two people that have doubts, that have no hope, and that are ready to give up. That's where you find our king. You see, if I was with Jesus, and I was going to manage his campaign of resurrection, I'd have played it a little bit different. I'd have said, Jesus, there's other people you need to see. I'd have done this. Morning, Pilate. I'm Jesus. Remember me? Pilate was the Roman governor who was in charge and had handed him over. I'd have gone to see Pilate. Come on, Jesus, there's some important people to see. Go and knock on Pilate's door and let him know that you're alive. Go and see Herod, who's meant to be a representative of God's people and schemed against you and had you crucified. Morning, Herod. Good to see you. You don't look very well, Herod. You look a bit shocked. (laughs) Were you expecting someone else? I'd have gone to the politicians, the rulers, the ones with the earthly power. That's where I'd have gone. And after I'd have done Herod and Pilate, I'd have gone to Caesar. Caesar, you may have may not have heard about a prophet called Jesus who was in that small little backwater uh, called Israel. Well, it's me. And your general should have told you that I've been killed. Well, here I am. And, And Caesar, you take the name Lord and you want to be the greatest in the empire, well, you can get off your throne because there's someone else. Because last time I checked, with all your soldiers, with all your taxes, with all your oppression and injustice, you can't beat death. Well, I have. Now move. That's what I'd have done. And sometimes that's what the church wants. We want the powerful to be influenced. We want those with money and business people or politicians to know about Jesus. We want the ones who are in charge, but that's not the kind of king we've got. Pilate had his chance. Herod had his chance. And they rejected him. You see, this tells us of the kind of king that Jesus is. He's not coming with an earthly power. He's not coming with a political power. The whole Bible up until this point teaches us that power in human hearts corrupts and causes oppression and injustice and breakdown in relationships. That's part of the point of the Old Testament is even when God raises up good kings, even when God raises up people that follow him and some of the people we say are heroes, so many of their stories finish with sin 
and finish with failures. Now, God's love and mercy comes to them, and they're still in the story, but part of the whole Old Testament is to teach us that earthly power doesn't do it. There's a different power, and that power comes through laying lives down, and God raises them up. See, this is a king who loves everybody. He, would, he wants Pilate to believe. He wants Caesar to believe. They're going to get another chance with people like Paul, who gets arrested and testifies to Roman governors, and people like Peter and the disciples. They're, they're going to get to hear that Jesus is alive. But this is a king who comes for the broken. This is a king who comes for those who don't have hope. This is a king who rather than going to the powerful on the first day of his resurrection. You can't unwrap sweets quietly. Just go for it. <laughs> I, I do. You can't, <laughs> you can't do them quietly. Just go for it. It's fine. I don't blame him. It's fine. Just, I just think if we're going to eat, just go for it and eat. Now, Sarush is upset that you're not sharing, but you, you, you can... <laughs> because that's just not culturally appropriate. But you can sort that out later. Look, I'm beginning to understand why the drummer's on his own now. I just, yeah. now, now I know what's going on. No. <laughs> See, Jesus, with the most important thing, the most important day in history, and the first thing he does is go for those that he knows we're trying to believe in him, that we're trying to follow him, but they've given up and they're broken. For those who are on the edge, for those who are leaving the city. That's why Jesus came for you. This is the king. This is the kind of kingdom he's bringing. And this is what the church is. See, we're meant to go to where Jesus would go. And it's not that, don't misunderstand me when I talk about influence and politicians and powerful people. Of course they need to know Jesus. But our hope for our nation and our hope for your nations where you're from isn't a political hope or a hope that somehow Jesus changes the system. Jesus is bringing a different system. And it's a system of his peace and his reign in the lives of people's hearts. We'll go on and see that in a minute. Which, of course, we want to see change politics and business practices and bring more justice. Of course we do. But our hope is in him and in his way, not in the world's way being made better, because the world's way is broken. That's the point of the story of the Bible. Does that make sense? And on this resurrection day, Jesus is explaining what kind of king he is and what the kingdom's for and the people he's come for. And there's plenty of powerful people. Paul, who gets dramatically saved, life turned around by Jesus. He was someone who was powerful and influential. And Jesus came for him. But he had to get on his knees. And Herod and Pilate weren't going to bow to anybody. Jesus has come for the broken. Jesus has come for the downtrodden. He's come for people who are on the edge. So when we have a prophecy that talks about if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling downtrodden, the answer isn't simply hoping you'll be all right. The answer is, Jesus comes to you. It's a very per that's, Paul teaches this later. It's when we're weak, we know God's power. It's what the resurrection teaches. It's why the disciples were so confused. They knew Jesus had power. They'd seen him raise dead people. 
They'd seen him feed thousands of people with a few fish and bread. They'd seen him calm a storm. They were, the fishermen were scared of what was happening on the lake, if you know that story. And Jesus stands up and says, Be quiet! And immediately it's quiet. They knew he had power. But Jesus wasn't going to use that power to bring his kingdom. He was going to lay his power down and let God raise him up. And that's what our hope's in. That's what our faith is. That's what the kingdom is. And that's what the church is for. That we go for other people who are on the edge. Other people who are experiencing oppression and injustice. And our hope is, is that the power of God will change that. There's no clocks. Oh, goodness. That's what Jesus is teaching us through this story and going after these people. And also he's doing this because he wants to show the greatness of his victory. He really is the Messiah. Not in the way they expected. Um, the prophecies talk about there'll be another king like David. And, and he will rule forever. Now David had a political kingdom and had an army. And was mighty in battles. So they thought the Messiah would be like that. But it's a different kind of king. He's descended from David. He's from David's family, ancestry, but he's not going to do this with an army. And the enemy wasn't the Romans. The enemy was sin and death. So he is a conquering Messiah. He is a conquering king. But the king he's come to the enemy he's come to defeat is death and sin and injustice. And he wants these two to understand this. And he wants the disciples to understand it. And he wants the whole world to understand it. Because we'll see in a minute, he's just going to begin with these two. He wants them to understand he really is the Messiah. He's come to rescue us. But it's from the enemy of sin and death. That's who Jesus had conquered. And that he really has had victory over all the powers. That's why there's a physical body. It's not just being raised like a ghost. But the physical body is alive again. It can't be alive again because death has taken it. And the Romans beat him on the cross and everything else. But he's shown he's got victory and real power over all the other powers. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That death isn't the end. Death isn't the all-conquering thing that everybody fears. Because Jesus has defeated it. The reason he suddenly disappears from them is to show that this isn't an earthly body anymore. It's a body, but this body can suddenly disappear. And when he appears to the disciples later in the story, he comes through a locked door. He's suddenly there. They've locked the door because they're scared. The Romans will come for them. Suddenly Jesus is standing there. And Jesus says to them, be peace. That was a stupid thing to say. You're supposed to be dead. And you suddenly stand in front of us and just say, peace, shalom, be peaceful. Because Jesus is saying, I've won. When he says be peaceful, he's not just giving them the normal greeting. It's a statement of his victory. No, peace be on you now. Peace be on you. And he wants these two, and all the other disciples, and us, to understand that he really is the one who's won. He's defeated death. And he wants them to understand that. That's why he's teaching them. And that's why he wants them to encounter him and see it for themselves. And then see him suddenly disappear and realize he's not just alive for a few days. It's not just a second chance. This is a body that's never going to die again because it's an eternal life that's in him. That's the resurrection hope. That's why we sing a little louder. 
anything that you're fearful of or you're troubled by at the moment, and there's plenty in the world for that to happen, and there's plenty in your towns, and there could be plenty in your circumstances that can make you fearful. The resurrection is the answer to fear. Because whatever in this world can go wrong, whatever in this world can harm you, and stuff does, so I'm not going to promise you that God protects and God looks after you, and don't worry, tomorrow will be all right. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, don't worry, because tomorrow's got enough trouble. In other words, worrying doesn't fix it. Well, it's a really hard statement. Jesus said that in Matthew. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's plenty of trouble tomorrow. He didn't say, don't worry, tomorrow will be all right. Don't worry, I'll look after you. Don't worry, it won't be as bad as you think. He said, no, don't worry, it will be as bad as you think. Oh, thanks, Jesus. What he's saying is, you can't extend your life with worry. You can't protect yourself with worry. It just makes it worse. You just lose sleep. And... and, mental well-being the resurrection the fact that there's another story the fact that whatever happens in this life isn't the end the fact that jesus has defeated it and there's healing and wholeness and peace and you can have it now just like these two had it they're leaving they turn around they run back they didn't have hope now they've got hope their hearts were empty and run down and they're under pressure now their hearts are on fire what happened resurrection happened Rome is still on the throne. Pilate is still in charge. Herod will have some of the disciples thrown in prison. Some of the disciples will be killed in the next book that Luke acts, that Luke writes called Acts. Some of them are going to experience awful, horrible things. Stephen, a believer, is going to be stoned because he's talking about Jesus. Life doesn't get better. It doesn't get easier when you follow Jesus. You have hope. Real hope. Not, uh, tomorrow's going to be okay. I've got no idea whether tomorrow will be okay. That's not what my hope's in. People, a couple of our children are in the Middle East. People say to us, why, how do you feel about your kids being there? Uh, Where my son, when one of my sons is living, within three months of being there, a bomb went off just down the road and killed loads of policemen. My friend, my son is Skyping a friend back in England and through the Skype, he heard the explosion, my friend in England heard the explosion. And people say, aren't you worried? Yeah, if I really think about it, I'm going to get worried. But worry's not the answer. Jesus told my son to go. And death's not the end. And I'm not being casual. And I'm not being not caring. That's the only hope we have, brothers and sisters. Do I believe Jesus will watch over him? Do I pray for his protection? Do I pray that it will be? Of course I do. Do I want his life to come to an end one day because a terrorist plants a bomb outside his house? No. Will I weep? I'll bawl my eyes out, so will ever. But it's not the end. It's not finished. And that's what those two men realized. That's why fire burnt in their hearts. That's why they ran back. He's alive! And as they began to work it out and process it, and later as Paul gets saved and the Holy Spirit speaks to him, Paul begins to write and say, hey, if he's alive, we're going to be alive. If he's risen, we're going to rise. If through persecution and difficulty and trial and imprisonment, I don't give up because I've got hope because Jesus is coming back again. And for Paul, the hope of the resurrection was literal, was real. He knew Jesus could raise him in a moment. And it's meant to be like that for us. 
it's okay to, to have fear. It's okay to have worry. There's some nasty things going on around us. And I don't know what's happening in your world. Some of you may be desperately need of a job to get some financial security. Some of you have some difficult things happening in your families and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, worry and fear, they're real. But why does the church let that rule sometimes? We worship the resurrection saviour. If there's hope anywhere, it's hope here. If there's certainty anywhere, there's certainty here. If there's peace anywhere, there's peace here. And that's what Jesus wanted these two to know. That's why he goes to them. You see, going back to my little funny thing, if I was Jesus' campaign manager, I'd have said to Jesus, look, now you're alive, let's just do a few things. Get, let's get the word out. Let's just change your Facebook status to, <laughs> to was dead, now alive. Let's, let's get a few tweets out there. We, we can do a, a couple of YouTube videos and, and then we'll hire a stadium. So for a couple of days, just let the word get out. It's a little bit of a media campaign and then I've booked the, I've booked the, the stadium. And we can get thousands in there, Jesus, and we'll get the word out and then you can appear to thousands at once. Why doesn't Jesus do that? Because if we're honest, that's what we'd have done. If, if you knew that you could get Jesus bodily form coming to Middlesbrough, you'd book Riverside, wouldn't you? And you'd get it all out there. And you'd have a laugh at Newcastle, say he's coming to us. <laughs> <laughs> I know how it works. Uh, we've got Jesus. And if you want to come, you can pay good money for the, for the Riverside. We would, we'd fit a stadium. Jesus could have done that. But he didn't. Because he wants the resurrection to be a personal encounter. Something which happens in our hearts. Not simply one of thousands watching. You think, well, that's still personal. Yeah, but you don't get to feel the fire burning in your heart. You don't get to have him walking alongside you, bringing hope when you've not got hope. You don't get to sit at the table and eat with him. That's what Jesus wanted. He didn't want to fill a stadium. He wanted every one of his disciples to touch, feel, smell, and know that he's alive. See, the resurrection of Jesus isn't simply meant to be a doctrine that we believe or something a bloke from Birmingham preaches passionately and you liked it one Sunday. It's meant to be fire that burns in your heart because you've met the risen Jesus. That's why Jesus does this. Not as a big media stunt, not as the way the world would do it, but because Jesus is the kind of Jesus that comes alongside people and says, hey, do you know I'm alive? Do you know how I'm alive? Because I'm with you. And I'll answer your prayers. And even when you don't get the answer you want, my love is still there, my peace is there. Because that's the kind of Jesus I am. And I know there's thousands, but I've got time to hang out with you. And I've got time to come to your house. And I've got time to be in your situation. And you go, but Jesus, you're a king. Surely there's nations going on. And what about Iran? What about Syria? What about what's happening in uh, Somalia? Jesus, those things. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can be there too. But right now I'm going to be in your house and I'm going to walk with you through your difficulty because I'm alive. See, Jesus is a king and he's a king for the broken and the oppressed and those who are on the edge and he's a personal king. That's why Jesus didn't fill a stadium. That's why Jesus went to find these two. That's why Jesus appeared to the women, one of the women. That's why Jesus then appeared to Peter. That's why Jesus then came to all of them because he wants it personal. 
Your hope, your peace is because you know that Jesus is risen. That's our testimony. That's what the church is. It's what we're here for. Yes, to sing. Yes, to have friendship and community together. But actually to be the community of the resurrected king who's rescued the world. That's our story into our society and communities. You think, yeah, but if I start telling people I believe Jesus is alive, they'll laugh. So, that happens in the book of Acts. But that's our story. That's our testimony. Some of us who are able to make good arguments and reason things through, well, we should do that and try and convince people. But your testimony that that Jesus had answered your prayer or you felt fire in your hearts is enough of a testimony to change someone's life. You see, these become, we're we're heading for a a finish. These two, without hope, walking away from Jerusalem, leaving, confused, not knowing that he's alive, not knowing what's happening, have one encounter and they turn and they run and they become the witnesses. They become the ones, hey, brothers, he's alive! And Jesus then appears to the rest to tell them that they need to be the witnesses. This is how the resurrection works. This is how the world gets to know. Not by filling a stadium, not by changing a Facebook status, but by a personal encounter. So they then go and say, Jesus is alive. I met him. I prayed. This happened. I felt his fire in my heart. A really difficult situation. And then peace came. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm praying that the situation at work changes. It hasn't changed, but I've got some peace. Why have you got peace? You're just one of those kind of optimistic people. No, it's not optimism at all. It's hope. Because even if the situation at work doesn't get any better, I'll find it hard, but I'm living in a different story. I'm living knowing that it's not the end. I'm living knowing that even if injustice keeps happening, because some of you are facing really difficult situations around where you're going to live and around your status, and you haven't been treated justly, but you know there's a king who's just. And if justice doesn't come right now when you need it, one day it will come. And all of those who brought injustice and all of those who have spoken against you and all of those who have brought terror to your towns and your cities, they'll be on their faces worshipping him. But you can know that peace now because he's alive. And all he wants is to walk with us. See, for some time, those men didn't know it was Jesus. Sometimes we just need to stop and say, Jesus, are you with me? I know that's not what they did. I know it happened different, and something supernatural happened when Jesus broke the bread. But Jesus is with every single one of you, the resurrected Jesus who's alive. And sometimes we need to stop focusing on all the hard stuff and the bad stuff and say, hang on, Jesus, I think you're here, aren't you? You're with me. That's what this story teaches me. And you are alive. And that becomes your testimony to the broken the excluded, and others around you, is that you know. You can take them to a book. You can take them to some good videos online that explain the resurrection. Even better is to share your story that you've met the risen Jesus because that's what Jesus was doing this for. That's why he went for two and not for the important and not for the powerful kings and not filling a stadium because he came for you. That's what this story teaches us. That's how more of Middlesbrough will get to know. We sing these songs, we bring prophetic words about what we believe Jesus wants to do and we're right, and he does. The bit we don't always follow up with is it will happen through you and your testimony. 
Because Jesus always works through people. That was Jesus' plan to change the world. Because he's about to leave. Which is another amazing story. So I'm, I'm going now. And I'm going to be king on the throne over everything for the church. Paul tells us that. But you get to tell this story. You get to talk about death isn't the end. You get to live, Paul says in Ephesians, in that power. You're thinking, how do I do that? But how do I find courage? How do I find hope? Paul says that resurrection power is working in you. It's not just a belief. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a nice song. But by the Holy Spirit, resurrection power is in your lives, bringing you peace, bringing you strength, enabling you as a church to keep being those that reach out to others and say there's a different story. Death and injustice isn't the end because Jesus has defeated them. Let's stand. We need to finish. The children need to be fetched in a couple of minutes. But the Holy Spirit's here. So I'm going to pray for a minute or two. And then we'll have time for people to come forward and have prayer, which we can do while the rest of drinks and children happen. Is that okay? Let's, look, come, let's just look to him. He's here. Oh, Jesus, what a story. What a saviour. I pray, Lord Jesus, just as fire came to those two men in the middle of real difficulty and confusion and sadness. Lord, they were empty. They were without hope. They're leaving. They're running away. And yet you ran after them. Lord, let that fire come now. Lord, some of us are really broken. Lord, there's some here, I think, I think the Holy Spirit is saying this. And when you came this morning, you've come because you know it's the right thing to do, but you weren't coming with a lot of faith in your heart because it's been really difficult recently. The Holy Spirit wants to come to you now and make this real, not just with me getting excited, but make this real. Let him come to you. You kind of think, yeah, but I want him to break bread with me. I want him to do something. No, he wants you to come to him and say, Jesus, will you help me? That's the point of the story. <laughs> Is that sometimes he looks for us to say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming. Help me, please. And some of you just need to do that. You're in really tough situations. You haven't got any hope in your heart. You're almost ready to give up. All you need to do is to say, Jesus, please, I'm not going to run away. I'm just going to say, Jesus, come to me. I need to know you, this peace again. Holy Spirit, do that. As people do that around the room, come to them, I pray. Resurrection, Jesus, make yourself known now into some really broken situations. Please, Jesus. Others of you here, you, you could think you're... You're a bit like those two men. And you think, why would Jesus go to them? They don't seem very strong. They don't seem very faithful. They're leaving the city. And, and you think that your life isn't good enough for Jesus. You think you don't get to be included or you're not worthy enough. And Jesus is saying to you, no, that's the point. I come for people like you. Not for clean people. Not for people who've got it worked out, but broken people. And for, I think for a couple of people here this morning, for the first time, Jesus wants you to experience his love. 
you've kind of held back a little bit because you don't think you're worth it. You don't think you're good enough for him and you want to get your life better or you want to learn to pray a bit or understand the Bible a bit. Jesus says, look, don't worry about that. I I want you to know me and I'm here. Jesus, come to those people, help them. Lord, they reach out to you now. I pray they feel some of your love, please. And these lies that they're not worth it or they're not good enough, Lord, we just reject that as that's untrue. Jesus, you've come for them and may they know that. And Jesus, I pray again, let your Holy Spirit come on us now. Lord, all across this room, Lord, we believe what we sing. We believe the words of what you're going to do in Middlesbrough and doing this nation in the nations. And Jesus, you are doing all kinds of things without us. But your main plan is the church, to be the community of the resurrection and to make it known you're alive. So I pray for new courage. Pray, Lord God, for that real conviction in our hearts. You're alive. Changes everything. You're alive. We've got nothing to lose. Even death, which is horrible, isn't the end. You're alive. Now, Jesus, come and bring that kind of hope again. That, kind, that real power, Lord, which is in us. Not just because we've had a good talk, but because you have put fire in our hearts. Come, Lord, fire. Holy Spirit, fire, like it came on the disciples. Come, Jesus, come and fill us. Well, some of us... Lord, fear is our story at the moment. We're fearful for our children. Some of us are thinking we're not coping well. Lord, let your hope come to us, please. Or some of us, Lord, I think we stay awake at night and we have some bad dreams because we've got anxiety. Jesus, let your hope come now. Real hope, Lord God. Thank you for what medicine can do. Thank you we need doctors to help us with those things. But, Lord, your power and your healing can come too. And we pray, Lord God, for any hearts where fear is winning at the moment, let love win. Let love and peace and hope win. Fear go. Reach out to him now. I'm not going to pray for you. We'll have a chance for people to come forward in a minute. But if that's your story, you're losing sleep or you're constantly worried about stuff, let Jesus come to you. And part of you are thinking, yeah, but I'm worried that he won't fix it. And so it becomes a circle. Now keep reaching out to him. Keep reaching out to him. He's the good shepherd. Jesus, come, I pray, and let love come instead of fear, please.